of insight for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, for the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. There is a, uh, in the American evangelical church today, there is a pressing need among many, but there's one in particular that stands out, and, and that is the need for discipleship. There's a great need in the American church today for uh, Christians to be serious about obedience to Christ and to His Word, to really uh, live for Him. You know, in the American church over the past uh, several decades, we've perfected the science of church growth. It's one of the things Americans have worked at and studied and researched and refined and even marketed and exported uh, to other countries and places. In other words, we've done our surveys and we've said, you know, what does it people really want in a church? How can we get people into the church? And so we've gone out and done surveys and said, you know, well, what is it you like? And what, what kind of music do you like? And what kind of sermons do you like? What do you want to hear from the pulpit? And people say, oh, you know, we, we want clean bathrooms. Okay, let's clean our bathrooms really well. And, you know, do you, we want clean nurseries. Okay, we'll work on our nurseries. And, and you know, we, we've gone out and said, what, what is it that people want? What is it that's keeping them from church? And there's been this effort to try to retool the church to make it a place that will get people to come into it. And certainly the seeker church movement has been at the forefront of this. But it's broader than that. It's just part of the whole American ethos, I, I think, in most churches that we go into. And, and certainly there's a good impulse behind it. It's the impulse of evangelism. How do we tell people about Jesus? How do we help them to, to take down the barriers between them and Christ? But at the same time, it, it's often become this effort to, to get people in and to grow the church. And to a large degree, it's been successful in that churches have grown. There are some really, really big churches all over the country. The, the mega church phenomenon has taken place. But I guess the question I'm asking this morning is, as the church has grown, has it really grown? In other words, as it's grown in size, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, has it grown in depth at the same time? Speed. Have we really been focusing on how do we live more holy lives for Christ? Are we as American Christians really becoming better disciples of Jesus, more obedient in our lives? Or are we simply uh, retooling the church to make it into kind of an echo chamber where the same things that people want in our culture they hear reflected back in the church without any challenge, without any pushback? Um, you know, are, are people really taking up their crosses and following Jesus, or are they simply taking in a show at church? You know, what, what are we taking in? What are we taking up? And, and maybe if I can ask that question, I don't know if this is like taboo to ask, but I don't know how you answer it, but to what extent are people really being saved in churches today? You know? I mean, right? Are, are we really taking the unchurched? and bringing them to hear the Gospel so that they come into a saving relationship with Jesus? Or are we simply taking the unchurched and making them churched? And you see, there's an eternal difference 
between those two options. It's just as much as there's an eternal difference between heaven and hell. And one of those will get you one place and one of them will get you the other. Simply being churched is not to be saved. And so I guess that's what I'm wrestling with. Uh, to what extent are the new methods and emphases in today's church really bringing us to a place of deeper discipleship and obedience to Christ? We're preaching Jesus as our Savior, but are we preaching Him as the Lord over our lives? Um, and so today we come to the book of Proverbs, this Old Testament book. Sometimes people open up the Old Testament they go, oh, that's old, there's nothing in there. <laughs> Ooh. You, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old. And I love preaching from the Old Testament because it's the, it's the way to Jesus. It was the way that God led us to Christ. And the book of Proverbs is preeminently a book about discipleship. You know, what's this book about? It's about, it's about obeying Christ and the Lord in all of the little aspects of our life. It's taking our Sunday proclamation and faith and all the things we sing and say and pray on Sunday, and working it out into the very nitty-gritty details of life Monday through Saturday. That's the point of the book of Proverbs. It's about discipleship. It's about learning to live a holy and godly life. It's a very practical book. It's a very down-to-earth book. And, and I think it's, it's a book that goes along well with the book of Luke. We just studied Luke, right? It tells us about who Jesus is and why we should put our faith in Him. Well, in some ways, Proverbs is the companion to that, you could say, because now that we've come to know Christ, the question is, how do we live for Him? What does that look like on a daily basis? And so Proverbs takes us into that sort of practical kind of area. Um, uh, Proverbs is, uh, is a wonderful book for learning how to live life. That's what it's all about. And so I think it's important for our church, because in some ways, South Shore Baptist Church has grown in church growthy kind of ways, where church growth... People would say, oh, you're doing it. You're doing it right. You know, we've seen our attendance kind of slowly grow and our budget has grown and we're talking about building a building, which is all good. I mean, those aren't bad things. They just are what they are. But the question I'm struggling with is, okay, that's fine, but as we grow in breadth, are we simultaneously growing in depth? That's what I want to know. See, that I have this kind of lurking fear that, you know, wakes me up in the middle of the night kind of thing as a pastor. And, and the fear I have is, Am I just growing an organization or am I really growing disciples who are committed to Jesus Christ? Because that's the goal is to make disciples for Jesus, not just to build larger organizations. I think larger churches are great if they're filled with people who are really coming to know Christ. You look at the story of the early church in Acts. We'll read it next Sunday. It was the story of a growing church, but it grew in both directions. People were coming into the church daily, but you see a quality of holiness and obedience in their lives as well. And so for the next, uh, we're going to study Proverbs here into the fall and winter and spring and probably wrap up in the summer. Um, and that's what it is. We're going to look at this topic of discipleship. And you're going to find this, I think, an incredibly encouraging, challenging, and practical book. Uh, what I want to do this morning is simply two things. I want to introduce this book to you and to myself. I want to answer two basic questions. Question number one, what is Proverbs? What is this book we're going to study? You know, is it a play? Is it a novel? Is it a poem? What is it? What kind of literature is it? And then secondly, therefore, what are we supposed to get out of the book of Proverbs? What is it supposed to teach us? Uh, when you study the Gospels, the main thing you should take away from studying the Gospels is... 
Who is Jesus and how do I respond to him? What's the main thing we take out of the book of Proverbs? So I want to address those two issues. What is it and why was it written or what, what are we supposed to get from it? So let's go through the first question. What is Proverbs? What is this kind of literature? What genre is it? So look back at uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. We'll wrestle with the first question first. Uh, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So this is a collection of Proverbs put together by Solomon. He was the son of King David. He was the third king of Israel. He reigned for 40 years. He was king over Israel from uh, 970 B.C. to 930 B.C. And he was a king renowned for his wisdom. That was one of the main things about him. He was the king, you remember the story, where he became king and he was a young guy and, and God actually talked to him and said, what do you want from me? I'll, you know, I'll give you one wish. What's your wish? And King Solomon said, oh, I need wisdom. I can't lead this people. How am I supposed to do this? I'm just a kid. And God said, right answer. <laughs> and he gave him wisdom and he also blessed him with riches and power and uh, splendor. In fact, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it to you real quick. This is from 1 Kings chapter 4. This is a description of Solomon's wisdom. It said, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, this, by the way, I'll just stop there for a second. Interesting that it mentions Egypt because uh, we have found through archaeology and, and whatnot uh, the wisdom literature of the Egyptians. Around the same time period that Solomon was king of Israel, there was a wide body of wisdom uh, in, in Egypt, in proverbial wisdom there. And so you can kind of compare Israelite wisdom to Egyptian wisdom. Interesting too, Solomon married one of Pharaoh's daughters. So there was a political marriage between Israel and Egypt during the days when Solomon was king. And so Solomon would have been exposed to the court literature and the wisdom literature of the Egyptians at the same time. It was kind of interesting. Now, there's a huge difference between Israelite and Egyptian literature. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later because it's, it's a significant critical difference. But anyway, it says in 1 Kings about Solomon, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. Who's a very wise king. And so he wrote and also collected this book of Proverbs. But back to the main question. So what's Proverbs? What is it? And I guess the basic summary is Proverbs are pithy truisms. They're short, memorable sayings that convey some point of information. They take some big truth and idea and they reduce it down to a really memorable, kind of catchy phrase and then you remember it. You know, we, every culture has proverbs. Little pithy sayings. Look before you leap. Right? Um, a stitch in time saves nine. We all have these little things and they're often intended to teach children little sayings that we tell kids to help them understand uh, life and to learn about how to live uh, wisely in this world. <clears throat> There's a proverb that a guy in our church made up. Uh, I don't want to embarrass him or whatever, but John Sargent always says, um, <laughs> he actually, he, he's, a really, he's really wise in leadership and he's one of the guys who's kind of mentored me in how to be a leader and how to lead an organization and you know the, all the stuff they didn't teach you in seminary kind of thing. Uh, and, and he's been really helpful, but he always he has these little sayings. I write them down. I'm going to read them all someday and embarrass him greatly. But uh, w one of his sayings, his most famous one is this. Never surprise the congregation or the congregation will surprise you. <laughs> in other words, in leadership, 
Make sure that when you're leading the people, you don't spring things on people. If you're leading a group of people like a church, make sure you bring people along. Give them time to understand. If you're going to change something, talk to people about it. And so, that, so that when you finally ask people to vote or make a decision or take some action, they understand why you're doing what you're doing. But if you surprise people, you'll be surprised. And, you know, what a great little saying. And it summarizes this probably lifetime of learning how to lead and often making bad choices and learning the hard way from surprising people. But it's a proverb. That's what proverbs do. They summarize truth. And that's what this book is. It's a bunch of little pithy, great little sayings. Uh, perhaps it, it would help us to define what proverbs are by saying what proverbs are not. You know, often you can say what something is by quoting the negative, what isn't the thing. And so l- let me just tell you what proverbs are not. Uh, one thing, proverbs are not, they're not exhaustive. They don't cover every little detail. All right, they're general. And there are always going to be exceptions. So every time you find a proverb, you're going to find exceptions to the proverb. Don't let that throw you off. Uh, for instance, look over at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8. Proverbs 11, verse 8 says, The righteous man is rescued from trouble... And it comes on the wicked instead. Okay, general truth. Is that always the case? No. We just studied two weeks ago the book of Job. The book of Job is the counterbalance or the exception to this proverb. The problem in Job was that Job's friends believed that that kind of proverb, 11 verse 8, was always true in every possible circumstance. So they didn't know what to do when Job suddenly fell into trauma. They said, well, you must have done something wrong, Job, because obviously the righteous man is rescued from trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. It's not exhaustive. In fact, look at this. I love this one. Look at Proverbs 26. This one so, so cracks me up. Just to show you that, that every proverb must be taken in the context of the whole Scripture and not just taken in isolation as an exhaustive commentary on truth. Look at Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. Okay, that's good. Good advice. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Wait a minute. I thought you said don't. Now you're saying do. It's exceptions. There's, uh, you have to take the Proverbs and interpret them in light of the whole teaching of Scripture, the whole counsel of God. And when we take them in some exhaustive sense, you're going to misunderstand them. That leads me to the second thing Proverbs are not. Proverbs are not promises. This is so critical to understand. A proverb is not a promise from God that something will always turn out that way. Um, For instance, look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. For instance, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. General truism? Yes. If you, generally speaking, if you lead your life to honor God with what you do, and you commit yourself to Him in prayer, and you seek to honor the Lord, you know, it's amazing how much God's will works. If you follow the Bible, it works. There's success. There's a great plan in it. But if you take that same proverb and turn it into a promise, you got yourself some real problems. 
So you want to start this business. You have this plan for this business. And frankly, it's a really dumb idea. But you're convinced it's good. And uh, you, you don't have a business plan for it. You don't have financing. You go to the bank and they will not lend you the money because it's a dumb idea. You tell your friends about it and they'll say, you know, I love you, but that's a dumb idea. <laughs> Everything's telling you this is a bad business plan. But you say, you know what? You guys, it doesn't matter. Because it says in Proverbs 16.3, if I commit my plans to the Lord, they will succeed. And I have committed this to God. And so I don't care what any of you say, this is a good plan because I'm standing on the promises of God. No, you're not. (laughs) You're standing on a proverb and you thought it was a promise. And so you have to really understand what this is. It's not a promise. And so you have to be careful with that. What is it then? These are pithy sayings. They're generalized truisms. And the purpose of them is to teach us. They're reduced down so that you can quickly grasp God's wisdom and God's truth. And that really leads to the second point that I wanted to make. The first is, what are Proverbs? They're pithy truisms about God's uh, truth. Secondly, though, why were they written? What is it that they're intended to teach? What should we come away with as a result of studying Proverbs? And the answer is, they're intended to teach wisdom. Wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. Let's go back to our main text. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That's what the Proverbs are. But what are they for? Verse 2. For attaining wisdom and discipline. For understanding words of insight. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the wise. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So it's about gaining all of this insight. And I think all of it can be summed up in verse 2. For attaining, here's the key word, wisdom. Wisdom, I believe, summarizes all of that stuff. Wisdom is what proverbs are for. We should come away from Proverbs being wise. Now we've got to define wisdom. We define Proverbs, right? Let's talk about what wisdom is. Because that's, a, that's an important phrase to really understand. The basic idea behind wisdom is, uh, I think the sort of base concept is skill. It's knowing how to do something skillfully. So in the Old Testament, when they were making that big tent out in the wilderness, that big tabernacle, God gave wisdom to the head craftsman. He gave skill to him so that he would be an expert at designing and building the tabernacle the way that God said. Uh, Or it says in um, uh, Ezekiel uh, 27, it talks about the wisdom of sailors. You know, if you've ever been with a good sailor, they know when to tack and when to jibe and when to pull the boat in and when to run with the wind and how to go around a buoy or how to avoid a sandbar. It's really amazing with, your, with, your, with a very skilled sailor just to watch how they navigate uh, through life. Have you ever worked with a, with a master? Have you ever uh, painted with a master painter? Or taking lessons from a master musician? Um, have you ever uh, worked with a master carpenter? And just seeing the wisdom they have and how to work with wood and you know, just the, the genius of it. And like, how did you do that? And like, the guy's like, oh, I don't know. I've just been doing that for years. And they, they've become a master at their craft. That's the idea behind wisdom. 
Um, except in this case, it's not mastery of woodworking. It's not mastery of music or painting. It's mastery of what? Of, of life. And so biblical wisdom is how to do life without messing it up, which is the hardest thing to do. How do you get through life? Uh, again, look at verse 3. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Doing what is right and just and fair. How to get through this life without totally wiping out. That's what Proverbs is about. It makes me think of, whenever I think of wisdom, I think of uh, from uh, Tom Sawyer, Mark Twain's book, Tom Sawyer. And, you know, Mark Twain was really big into the Mississippi River and the river boats. He actually had some personal experience there in his youth. And so he writes in this book, Tom Sawyer, about when Tom is going down the river with the riverboat captains, and they come to this particularly treacherous place in the Mississippi River that, where there's lots of sandbars and hidden objects, and they have to get through it very carefully. The problem is it's the middle of the night. They can't see a thing. And so what happens is all these... It's this great scene where the, the pilot is up in the, the wheelhouse guiding the ship, and there's all these other riverboat pilots with him, and it's a very serious moment because he could sink the ship if he crashed it. And he goes simply based on memory of how the river works. And he's asking for the men on the sides of the boat to take the depth soundings. And based upon those depth soundings, working from all of his years of experience, he guides the boat completely blind through this extremely treacherous part of the river. And I think what a picture of wisdom that is. Life is full of sandbars and sunken objects that can take you out. You know, in marriage, in business, in parenting in sexuality, in uh, uh, alcohol, in wealth. I mean, Proverbs deals with all of those kinds of issues. And it's so easy to get taken out and to sink the ship. And so wisdom is knowing how to lead a godly life. That's what it's all about. And that's what we need. Or in other words, it's about discipleship. It's a book about living a holy and godly life that honors the Lord. Maybe it would be helpful to, do, to again do a contrast. We said what wisdom is. Maybe we should say what wisdom isn't. Just like we said what parables, uh, proverbs are and what they aren't. So what, what is wisdom not? And, and maybe I could put it this way. Wisdom is not intelligence and education. You can be really smart and you can have gone to a really great school and be a fool. There's a lot of them out there actually. You know? <laughs> You can have no education and be a very wise person. You know, wisdom is not necessarily intelligence and education. You know, I have a master's degree. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm wise. <laughs> I, I did pretty well on my SATs. That doesn't mean I'm wise. Wisdom is how you do with life, not how you do on the book test. And so wisdom is about navigating all of these things. Um, and, and I think that's important because we live in a culture today that is very well informed and very well educated, especially here in the Northeast, but not very wise. And I think that because we can do things like go on Google or Wikipedia, and we have all of the, the information at our fingertips, that because we have that information access, we think, therefore, we know it all. But that's not wisdom. Being able to Google information and get it is not the same thing as wisdom in how to live your life. Uh, and, and so today, we don't really have, as is often been said, we don't really have heroes, we have celebrities. And we put actors on a pedestal, and we put, um, 
you know, singers and musicians and athletes, and we put them on a pedestal, and then their lives are complete train wrecks. We're like, why is that? Well, they're not wise. They're just famous, but they're not really heroic. You know, heroes, the thing you love about a true hero isn't that they're famous, it's their character. It's that they've learned to live life in a way that is godly and full of integrity. <clears throat> and this is my concern for the church, you know, which is what I was talking about earlier. And, and I'm, I'm talking about our church and every church. Is Are we really being a wise church? Are we learning to live godly, holy lives as a congregation? Uh, the American church today has become very skilled. It's become skilled at technology. I, I don't know how aware you are of where the trends in uh, evangelical worship are going today in contemporary worship, but it's very high tech. Uh, you, you know, if you've gone to seminars and conferences, Jennifer Bull, our worship director, went to some this summer, and she's just filling me in, and I've seen some of it too. You know, it's like light shows and, and lighting that fits the mood of the song, and on the, the words on the screen, you know, there's, there's graphics in the background that move, that kind of go with the mood of the words, and in the sermons... There's video clips. I, I, I just think that's ghastly to show a video clip in a sermon. I mean, you know, preach the word, brother. I don't want to see a movie. I can go watch a movie. I want to hear the word of God, you know? And so all these things, and, but I just, you know, that's where worship is going, is this extremely high tech. And I just think there's a real worldliness to it because we're trying to keep up with that. But the question is, yeah, but are we wise? Not that there's something wrong with a PowerPoint slide, but are we wise? Are we godly? We're becoming experts in organizational uh, administration and manipulation in the church, but are we becoming experts in holiness and righteousness and purity and godliness, which is what we're called to be? That's the path of wisdom. <clears throat> but the good news is the path of wisdom is open just as much as God's Word is open. And we can go to Proverbs and we can learn it even at any stage in our life. Look at verse 4. It's for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. This is a book written for kids to learn from. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My son, my son, this is a father talking to his kid, or, or mother talking to her kid. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, and it goes on. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. And so there's this emphasis upon teaching of children. You know, a great thing you can do with Proverbs, if you have kids, if you have uh, teenagers, or maybe you have like preteens, maybe you have like kids 10 to 12, something like that, and they can really start reading the Bible and thinking about it, read Proverbs with them. Sit down with them and say, hey, you know, the pastor said I should do this. Oh, I don't want to. Okay, neither do I. But let's try it. And sit down with them and, and read Proverbs. Because Proverbs is all about all the life stuff they're about to hit and actually are probably already facing and you don't even realize it. <laughs> but it teaches you about how to live a godly life. Moms, sit down with your daughters and read Proverbs. Dads, sit down with your sons and read Proverbs. You can do it. It's a great way to talk about obedience and holiness in a very practical way. But it's not just for the young. Look at verse 5 going back to Proverbs 1. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. You can always get more wisdom. The thing about wisdom is, the wiser you get, the more you realize how foolish you really are <laughs> and how you need more wisdom. People who know it all and have all the answers, 
You know, you talk to a smarty arty and they got all the answers to everything. That's probably a fool you're talking to. Wise people, well, see this in Proverbs, they tend not to talk as much. They tend to listen more and they realize that they have a lot to learn. That kind of goes along with wisdom. Um, and so it's something we can grow in. But then we come to verse 7. And, and since we're talking about what wisdom is, this is the most important thing. And if you don't take anything else away from this sermon, just remember verse 7. This is the most important thing to understand about wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or as it says elsewhere, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is what distinguishes Israelite wisdom literature from Egyptian wisdom literature. That it's based upon the fear of the God of Israel. It's not simply hot tips for being successful. It's about honoring God, knowing who God is, and worshiping Him and honoring Him with your life. In fact, I would say the fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom, it's the end of wisdom. It's the whole purpose of a wise life is so that at the end of my days, my life has glorified and shown honor and reverence to God. It's the fear of the Lord that separates Proverbs from all of the books in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble's. As you can go to there and you can find hot tips for whatever, books on you know, increasing your whatever, whatever you want to strengthen or build up in your life, but all those books are going to find it very self-focused. How can I help me succeed in the ways that I've defined success? But Proverbs is very God-focused. It's about leading a godly and disciplined life, not just so that you can succeed, but so that God can be glorified and honored, which is the purpose of our existence. You know, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why I exist and why you exist, is to glorify our Maker and to love and enjoy and delight in Him. And so you have to keep verse 7. If you lose verse 7, Proverbs is going to become a twisted sort of self-help, prosperity gospel kind of book. But when we understand that Proverbs is ultimately about honoring God, then it will make sense and fall into place. So what is Proverbs? It's a collection of pithy sayings, a collection of truisms through which we are taught what, which is what Proverbs is for, we're taught wisdom. And wisdom is not simply intelligence or education. Wisdom is knowing how to skillfully navigate life in a way that brings honor and glory to God. That's what Proverbs is all about. So, homework assignment. You have homework. Uh, I have three homework items for you, and I'll give them to you in increasing order of difficulty. So the easiest one is this. Here's your first homework. Read Proverbs. How many chapters are in Proverbs? 31. How many days in a month? 31. So this is the 23rd. Today, read chapter 23. I know all you type A's are like, oh, I've got to start at 1. No, just <laughs> let it go. You're going to start at 23. Okay? If you get off balance and you, because life gets crazy and you miss it like four days, don't try to catch up. Just pick up a foot day you're on. Just start reading it. Just jump in. That's, that's a, Proverbs are like that. Because they're all kind of scattered, you don't have to follow it sequentially. Uh, I'm not going to preach it sequentially, but I'm, I'm going to try to you know, sort of pick and choose around because that's the way it's structured. This is as close as I get to topical preaching on a regular basis is to kind of pick apart these topics that are in here. So just start reading through Proverbs. Uh, I, I plan to be in Proverbs most of this next year up through about August, so you could conceivably read the book 11, 12 times, which is pretty cool. So um, that's bronze level. Read Proverbs. 
Silver, this is the next hardest. Memorize Proverbs. I'm going to give you every week, not the whole book. I mean, come on. That would be like platinum level. I'm not going there. I, I want you to start memorizing Proverbs, okay? Every week I'm going to give you a verse that applies to the coming week's text, and I want you to memorize the verse. And you're like, oh, I can't memorize. Yes, you can. Almost everybody here, I would say almost everybody here, and that some who maybe just for whatever reason just simply can't memorize things, but almost everybody here I believe can memorize a verse a week. You can, and the reason you think you can't is because you just don't try. You have to try. You have to apply yourself. It's not that hard. It's one verse. And they're catchy and they're memorable and they're funny. You can memorize a proverb a week. So what I'll do is I'll give you a proverb for next week. So next week, um, actually I'm giving you two verses for next week. But if you turn to, uh, <laughs> there's an exception to all the truisms, right? Um, so next week is Proverbs chapter 8. And I want you to memorize verses 10 and 11. There will be a quiz. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Right. If Proverbs are, are pithy, memorable sayings, shouldn't we memorize them? So let's memorize. Let's try to memorize a few. Even if you don't get them all. You know, if one of them really jumps out at you, you're like, yeah, that is great. I want to remember that. I'm going to challenge you to do it. So sil- uh, bronze level is read it. Silver level is memorize it. And gold level, this is the hardest one. I want you to do it. Isn't that the hard one? Actually obeying God's Word. That's what I struggle with. I can preach it and read it all day, but I'll tell you, doing it is the really hard thing. And so I would just encourage us all to lead a godly life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you've surrendered your heart and soul to Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to that place of saying, you know what, God, yeah... I have a good job and yeah, I have a degree and all, but my life's a mess because I haven't followed you and I want to repent of my sin and Jesus, I want to follow you and have you come into my life. Have you ever become a true Christian in the biblical sense of the word? And, and it's not just for those who haven't become Christians and are thinking about it. It's just for all of us as Christians. Are we really growing in our faith? You know? Or are we just kind of stagnated, stuck in the mud? You know, there's probably things in your life like mine where, you, where you've just kind of given up and you're like, oh, that's just who I am. Yeah, I, I just have a temper. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, I, I just have a problem with gossip. You know, I just, I, you know, I drink and that's my little vice. And I, you know, I drink too much sometimes and yeah. And, and you've kind of just said that's who I am and you've given up on growth and godliness. And I just want to challenge you and say, maybe this is the year through God's Word and Proverbs, that God wants you to break out of, that's just who I am. And I say, no, you can gain wisdom. You can learn how to live a godly life. And maybe you can grow this year in ways that you have stopped trying because you didn't think it could be done. But through God's Word and through a fellowship with other believers, that's why we have the DTI in small groups, in community with other Christians, maybe there's areas in our lives that we've given up on that God wants to grow in you Deeper levels of obedience and discipleship. It's possible. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, I I just 
pray for the power of Your Holy Spirit and the authority of Your Word to transform South Shore Baptist Church. Lord, we want this church to reflect the image of Jesus. And we know that if we don't intentionally seek the face of Jesus, we will inevitably reflect the culture around us because there's no neutral ground. We're either growing towards You or we're sliding and deteriorating away from You. And so, Lord, we want to grow. We want to be more like You, Jesus. We want our church to reflect Your character. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as the church grows numerically, as it grows in breadth, that whatever blessings You decide to give in terms of people being converted and people coming here, Lord, I pray that You would give us a double blessing of growth in depth and that our growth in depth would far outstrip our growth in breadth. And so, Lord, just be at work in our lives. And I just pray You'd encourage my brothers and sisters here. Just, I just pray, Lord, speak hope and in the future into the hearts of those who have given up. And may they see, Lord, that You are still the God who has the power to change. And so, Lord, make us godly Christians. Make us a godly church. And, Lord, may it be that as the church becomes more holy, as the church becomes more unworldly, that in that paradoxical way it will become more attractive to the world. That, that we'll bring people in not because, hey, we're so much like the culture, but because we're so refreshingly different than the culture. And so God, may your holiness and your grace and the beauty of your purity just flow into us and through us. For the sake of your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's close with singing this great hymn about God's wisdom, immortal, invisible, God-only wise. It's hymn number 33 in your hymnal. Would you uh, stand and let's sing together. Hymn number 33.